Church, developing a culture of loving Christ and serving others. Let me take a moment here and welcome and introduce to you the love of my life. Her name is Judy. She's seated here to my right and many of yours left. Judy, would you just stand and uh, let him see you there? Yes. In fact, in a few more weeks, less than two weeks, August 3rd, we will be celebrating our 45th wedding anniversary. Yes. Uh, <laughs> I hate to say this, but we've been married longer than some of you have been alive. And it's because of the grace of God and this dear lady that we are happily married today. And I have to say that we are probably happier now than we've ever been before. Uh, I, I think that's God's intention for couples that keep God in the center of their life, the center of their home. It gets gooder and gooder and gooder and gooder. Why are you laughing? <laughs> I'm so thankful for her. And as your pastor stated, we're blessed with a son by the name of Ken. He has taken over the leadership of the church that I had the privilege of leading for over 30 years. Uh, he was elected almost unanimously as the new pastor of Mountain View Christian Assembly in Sandy. And he has been in that role for the last eight months and we are so appreciative. In fact, we are still a part of that church. They didn't tell us to leave. We don't want to leave. We are there. We're serving in various capacity under the title of Pastor Emeritus. It sounds important, doesn't it? <laughs> in fact, I had to go to the dictionary or my Google, my, my smartphone and look up the definition. It basically means being retired from active service while still retaining one's title as an honor. I, I believe they're still trying to honor me, and uh, we have had a good relationship over the years, and we're so appreciative to our son taking the leadership. In fact, let me make a statement here and then use an illustration. My wife and I never seriously considered retirement or resignation of the church we pastored for so long and our son, Ken, never seriously considered pastoring until something happened. July 24th of the year 2017, almost two years ago in a few days, my wife and I decided on that holiday, July 24th, to take a motorcycle ride up into Little Cottonwood Canyon there. And we left very, very early in the day to beat some of the summer heat that we're experiencing now. And on the way up Little Cottonwood Canyon, all of a sudden, out of the blue, there literally ran up the side of the hill a huge deer. And he was about as close to us, traveling about 40, 45 miles an hour. I don't exactly know how fast we were going. But he was close to us as your pastoral team are to me right now. And there's nothing I could do other than to brace ourselves and to hit him broadside. There's no way I could swerve around him. I would probably dump the bike, and either way, we would be hurt. So therefore, we crashed into the deer, and my wife abruptly was thrown from the motorcycle, and she suffered a broken ankle, a broken hand, and severe abrasions on her knees, and, and all over her elbows, so on and so forth. 
I decided to hang on. I don't know why. I decided to hang on to the motorcycle for as long as I could, and I began to tumble down the mountainside, just hanging on. At a certain point, something jarred me loose, and I landed very, very hard on the back, on my back there, experiencing pain that I never felt before. I found out later that I had broken four vertebrae in my back, punctured my lung, and lacerated my spleen. I said it already that up until that moment in our life, we never seriously considered resignation and retirement. And Ken never seriously considered pastoring a church. In ministry, yes, but pastoring a church until that time, since my wife and I were laid up for a number of months, he completely took over the responsibility of lead pastoring that particular church. Like I said, he was elected unanimous, almost unanimously, and he's serving as the lead pastor. Now, I'm not saying that God caused that motorcycle accident. I am saying that he utilized that because the Bible says the steps of a righteous man and or woman are ordered of God. And he utilized that event to caution and to, to position us to transition and to position our son into pastoral ministry. God will take what the enemy means for evil and turn it around for good to those who are followers of Jesus Christ. I'm thankful for it. I again say God did not cause that motorcycle accident. He simply utilized it for our next step in our lives, in our son's life. Uh, one day, I mentioned this in the first service, I, I'd like to see a video of that, Pastor Seth, that the, just to see how it transpired and us rolling down the hill. I, I maybe don't want to see it, but I, I'm kind of curious enough to want to see it. And this, I'm going to ask God a question. God, could you not have used a different methodology to get my son in place where he's willing to pastor? <laughs> Would you stand with me for the reading of God's Word this morning? I don't know if that's a practice here. It's not right or wrong, but I'd like to have the church and stand as I read the word of God found in Matthew chapter 16 this morning. Let me preface all of my comments or the furthering of my comments with a statement, I am a church man. Um, you've heard the term somebody being a company man. He gives his life over and above, going the second, third, fourth mile. I am a church man. I believe in his church I believe in this generation to take the kingdom of God further than ever before. I believe in God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. I believe in His church. I believe in this pastoral team. I believe in this as part of His church. I'm going to talk a little bit this morning about the grand invisible church that you really can't see with your eye, only see pieces of it. But God takes this, this huge church, His body of Christ, literally in the world, as an instrument to make sure that his plan of reconciliating a, whole, a lost world back unto himself because of what Jesus Christ has already done. Now, I'm a senior. I, I, I almost senioritis, you've heard the term. It's not fairly applicable, applicable to what I'm talking about here, but it sounds like a disease. Seniorhood, senioritis. Doesn't that sound like a disease? You know, but I'm like the psalmist this morning, and I, and, and I read this the other day, and it says, now also, may, now also when I'm old and gray, O God, do not forsake me. 
until I have proclaimed your strength to this generation and your power to everyone who is to come. That is my privilege and my authority, and I've asked God to let me be a blessing to this part of his body. You are part of the body of Christ. Now, let's, let me read Matthew chapter 16, a very familiar portion of Scripture that many of you are familiar with, beginning at verse 13. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? He calls himself the Son of Man. They replied, verse 14, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, still others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. And he asked, but what about you? Who do you say that I am? That question will be posed to you if it hasn't been posed to you before. Jesus will ask, who do you say that I am? Simon Peter. I love Simon Peter. Simon Peter, I call him open mouth, insert foot. Simon Peter. I've done that from time to time. Simon Peter, you are the Christ the Son of the living God. It goes on to say this was not revealed to him by flesh and blood or by mankind. It was revealed to him supernaturally by God the Father. Jesus replied, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by man, but by my Father in heaven. In verse 18, very familiar portion of Scripture, Jesus speaking, I tell you that you are Peter. You are Petros. You are a small stone. You are Peter. And on this rock, Petra, it's a play on words. Peter, small stone, upon the confession of Peter. He says, on this rock, a huge rock, a boulder. One translation translates it as a cliff, a cliff literally. I will build my church and the gates of Hades or hell will not overcome it. Father, I thank you for your word we saw, we sang this morning about your truth coming forth. I, I pray not for a new revelation of your word, but I pray, Lord, that revelation concerning your word will hit every heart, every listener here today, and your kingdom come and your will will be done in Jesus' name. And everyone said... Amen. You may be seated. There was a man by the name of Chuck Colson who says, and I quote, When the church is the church, the people moved by the Spirit of God do the work of God, and evil cannot withstand against it. Let the church be the church. I believe in Jesus. I believe in his church. I believe in this present generation. I'm part of the generation that soon, God give me more years, but soon to pass off the scene. So I believe I am an intentionally intergenerational. We have a son who is 41. Thank you. Got to check with the boss. 41 years of age is another generation, and I, I am so proud. The Bible says, not the Bible says, but we've heard it said that every generation has a responsibility. Christianity is only one generation away from extinction. I believe God is using this present generation to mark distinguishable acts because of the church of Jesus Christ. 
not of Latter-day Saints, but the church of Jesus Christ alive and well. Now, statisticians, uh, Main Street Media, it's very fashionable today to, to literally cut down Christians and Christianity, and one media, so-called expert, says that the church is going to go by way of eight-track tape players. How many of you know what I'm talking about? One, two, three, four, five. <laughs> Maybe you've heard about it. In fact, years ago, when Judy and I were first starting to date, we were on a, I had just recommitted my life to the Lord, and I was all excited, and I bought all these 8-track Christian tapes. So we went to this particular outing, parked the car, forgot the locket. Everyone, every one of my tapes were stolen. And I prayed, God, do that, some, do that thief some good by stealing all of my 8-track tapes. <laughs> you know? <laughs> so we want to talk about the church today. Very quickly here, I didn't get through everything I wanted to say. I probably won't this afternoon or this second service here. But what's this thing called the church? Jesus Christ said, upon the confession of Peter, upon his confession, I'm going to build my church. Can I say the title of it is Church Rock On. First of all, I know you know this, but I'm not embarrassed to call you back to remembrance. You've got a fantastic teacher and preacher in your pasture here, and he can take it wherever the Lord leads him. But first of all, in order to go where we want to go this morning, we need to understand the church is not a building. Thank God for where he's leading you. I pray blessing upon blessing upon church construction, church purchase of property, church growth, church anointing, for God to utilize this local church as an instrument in His hands to make all the difference. Let this community know who Jesus Christ is. So when you move on, but listen, a church is not a structure. It's not this facility. It's not a civic center. It's not a home. It's not a building whatsoever. The church is people. People who are called out. In fact, the word ecclesia is the, trans or the Greek translation of the word ecclesia in the New Testament is the word church. The church was a secular term or ecclesia was a secular term in Jesus' day, but it meant a calling out of people, a gathering of people. The Hebrew uh, corresponding uh, scenario and story where the children of Israel were called out and they met at the base of Mount Sinai where God called them together under his name for specific instructions, for specific purposes. A church is a called out gathering of people. And secondarily, not only is it a gathering of people, a church is more than that. A church is family. A church is a community. A community of called out people, rectified, redeemed, going forth in the purposes of God. And I am so glad that whether that church, part of that church meets here or in Draper or in Kalamazoo or in the mission field, we are an invisible body across the world. God has established His church of all races, all ages, men and women. We don't know how big that is. But there is something called the church, the community of God, the followers of Jesus Christ. They're more than just a collection of people. And when Peter made his confession, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God, God didn't say to him, Jesus didn't say to him, that's all you need. He used that occasion, this is so important, he used that occasion to announce his church. It was a relatively new concept but he utilized the confession of that apostle by the name of Peter. 
You are the Christ, the Son of the living God, to establish a divine principle called His church. I will build my church and not even the gates of hell. The church is never to be in a protective mode, in a defensive mode. It is marching on to fulfill the kingdom of God and lost souls to be saved. I will build my church. He established that divine principle and we become part of the called out assembly of people. Now let me make a kind of a radical statement here. This may be new to you. It may not be new to you, but I'm going to go on to explain it. But it's crucial to understand his church. Here it is. Our commitment to his church. The large universal individual or or large universal church or a local assembly part of the body of Christ. Our commitment to the church becomes indistinguishable from our commitment to Jesus Christ who is the head of the church. Did that register? Let me say it again. Let it register in your spirit. Our commitment to the church, universal or particular, becomes indistinguishable from our commitment to Him. In other words, our relationship with God, with Jesus Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit, ought to be indistinguishable from our relationship with each other. Remember the church of people, not a structure? I, I graduated from Bible college a few years ago. <clears throat> and, and, and we were invited to be part of a team in Beckley, West Virginia. That's how I got started in my full-time ministry. I was a youth pastor, and there, another, not a friend of mine, he wasn't even an acquaintance, but somebody that graduated with me, he was hired as the minister of music, I was hired as the minister of youth. <laughs> Interestingly enough, uh, two weeks after I came to the church and the pastor invited me to be the minister of youth, he left. It wasn't because of me, just, just to, but he, he left. He also had plans already to leave, and I just didn't know about it, but he was building his team knowing that the new pastor would come in and he would decide whether to keep us on staff or build his own staff with his own people. And so I kind of, Lord, you brought us here, and and this guy's probably going to let us go to bring his own, pe- his own people in kind of thing. But I'll never forget this. The other young man hired as the minister of music, he was let go. Do you want to know why? Because he made this statement. He said, it's Jesus I love. It's the church I can't stand. Think about that. You see, we live in a day where even followers of Jesus Christ, sometimes because of relationships, offenses, struggles, annoyances, difficulties, find it easy to develop, to develop a religion that says, it's Jesus and me, that's all I need, because... You might not want to raise your hand here, but how many have ever had difficulties with your brothers and your sisters? Just, just don't, don't, don't raise your hand. Just kind of, just I, <laughs> somebody in back is talking about somebody else. <laughs> We've all been there. Someone said we can't choose our relatives; we can choose our friends. 
but we're brothers and sisters. And I believe with all of my heart, it sent them to say something to my membership class when I was pastoring. It said, Christianity is God's Bible college, and going to church is by God's Bible college of practical Christian living. It's where we get to live out what God has lived in. And it's really easy, it's really easy to divorce ourselves because of ordinary things, because of difficult things to separate ourselves from members of the body of Christ. It's easy to be annoyed with one another and say, and I, over the years I've seen this over and over and over, so-and-so offended me, so-and-so said this, so-and-so didn't do this, you didn't do this, and they leave the church. I mean, to a certain point I understand it may happen and it's going to happen to a certain degree. But I also understand the enemy's tactics to kill, steal, and destroy. We're always going to battle that. But listen, the church is not only going to be a gathering of people, it's also going to be a church victorious. How and why? Because we are a corporate entity. The reason you're going to have victory in your life, victory in your church, success and anointing is because we are going to choose to be part of the body of Christ. I have a body. You have a body. We are created by God. These bodies of ours will one day be laid down. And the closer I get to that time, to be, I, I, I don't like it. <laughs> I just, can I just be honest with you? I just like, you know... I mean, we were just talking the other day, and we were reminiscing when we were dating. It seems like a few years ago. It's a half century ago. <laughs> it's just like, what happened? But you and I have a body. We live in this body. But our body have members. I've never checked this out. I, I've had a number of nurses and doctors attending Mountain View over the years, and I, I've used this illustration here, and they've never corrected me, so I'm going to go on as if this is true. Okay. And if some of you can correct me, correct me after the service. But now let me live in my ignorance, okay? I've heard it said that if I were to lose my little toe, if somehow through accident that little toe was dismembered from my body, I've heard it said that I would need to learn how to walk all over again. I, I don't know if that's true or not, but I know that we as a whole, I am most productive when every member of my body is working. And the Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, I believe it is, we are to suffer with those who suffer and we are to rejoice with those who rejoice. I believe chapter 12 of 1 Corinthians is the ideal goal of every church, of every family, because we are members of the body. What hurts one hurts the other. When one is, I, I think the church here, in America, we, we, we might be halfway decent at, at suffering with those who suffer, but we're really bad at rejoicing with those who rejoice. And I have to say, I rejoice with you when I hear these messages about, about new property and, and forward vision. I say, glory to God. May your tribe increase beyond anything imaginable in your hearts and lives right now. May this church grow and be blessed and be a blessing to this community beyond anything you can even fathom. Dream big! But the way to do that is to do it corporately. Do it corporately. Listen, there is this invisible church made up of members throughout the ages. But God is wanting not only to talk about and be part of an invisible church, He wants 
that invisible church to take on visibility in local places. You are established here as part of his body. You are the ecclesia of God in this neighborhood. And wherever this church moves to geographically, may it be a place that your influence for God just spreads like a spider web all across this nation as well as this world. I believe that'll happen. Peter preaching a Pentecostal sermon. <laughs> I, I, I dreamt about this. I, I never arrived at this place. But he preached a Pentecostal message after the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Remember Acts chapter 2? And how many souls were saved? 3,000. That's happening in places around the globe. And may it, in the name of Jesus Christ, happen in this locality. May it happen because the church is alive and well, connected together, moving together, supporting. I said before, I'm, I, I'm purposefully, intentionally intergenerational. In any church service in America, there are at least four generations, sometimes five, grand grandparents, grandparents, parents and their children. They're all existed in one place. Can I say this? <laughs> he has no idea what I'm going to say. <laughs> but you see, after this, I'm going home, you know. He'll, he'll deal with the things I said wrong. He'll make all corrections necessary, you know. But uh, in America, we're kind of, we're independent. We're stubborn. Fiercely. Okay. I'll just say this, uh, a secular writer actually speaking about the church said that in America, we do what feels good. That's crept into his church. I know of a situation where a man born again got dissatisfied for whatever reason, I won't go into those with his local church, decided to go someplace else that someplace else happened to be what they called themselves a church, but it didn't believe in the one true God. It didn't believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It didn't believe in the authority of the word of God. It didn't believe that Jesus Christ died for our sins, rose again. And he went there, and a good Christian brother and friend of his walked up to him and says, oh, what, what, what's going on with you? You're, you're going to this other place, but don't you know they're, they're not even believers according to the word of God? And he made this statement, oh, but my wife and I feel so good after we leave. That's part of the church today. And I'm not saying that his true church, I mean, <laughs> I, I hate to admit this, but as a pastor, this never happens to your pastor, but there were Sunday mornings, I wish I didn't have to go to church. But you know, I went because... It wasn't just to hear or speak a sermon or to worship. It was to lift up God Almighty. We are a called out assembly. We gather together underneath Jehovah God in the name of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And you have been called out. I commend you this morning. It's right 
It's righteous. There are plenty of things you've got to do today, maybe things that you even want to do today. But you stopped all that. You are called out together. And I say it again. Your worship here is anointed. The preaching here and teaching is anointed. And you come to set everything else aside for a time being. You'll go back to it. But you're going to come out and you're going to, that is so important. That is so important. We have lost that or have lost some of that in America. A, A Canadian firm called the Genesis Project. It, it, it kind of takes toll of what's happening in Christendom in, in, in Western civilization. He said that faithful churchgoers who attended church regularly and faithfully four to five times every month, 10 to 15 years ago, has now gravitated in America, in the Western civilization, to less than two times per month. Now, I, I'm not here to bring any condemnation here, but, but I, I, I'm old enough to recognize that, that when I was growing up in church, and now it doesn't have to be this way, I, I'm not saying this is better than this way now, but I mean, we went to church Wednesday night, we went to church Sunday morning, we had church service on Sunday night. Now, that's not that say the Lord, I mean, but there has to be a time where God's people are called out, where they're gathered together, where they come together, not just to hear a great sermon, not just to sing praise unto God, even though it's part of it. But we come together because He is our God. He is our Lord. He is our Savior. He's our soon-coming King. And we're here to glorify and lift up His... Church facilities will not ever be big enough for a congregation of people who do that in the name of Jehovah God. I, I came in here this morning, and, and one of the things I'm going to have the privilege of doing at Mountain View is, uh, uh, as my role of Pastor Emeritus, they asked me to be head of the Connections Ministry. I saw that word somewhere here, you know, because I, I have a habit of, I, I just like connecting with people. I just like doing that. And why don't you be head of our Connections Ministry? Well, I've got some ideas of more than what we're doing now. I love your connectors. Can I call you that? Do you, you, you made me feel at home. You made, me, you made my wife and I feel like, wow, these people are part of the body. They're part of the whole. I ended the service this, this earlier service here by relaying just a personal testimony. I grew up in church. I say I loved the church back then. There came a time in my teenage years, early teenage years, where I didn't want anything to do with the church. I I went to church for a while because mom made me. I began to use my father as an excuse because even though he was a good, decent, moral man, he, uh, he didn't go to church. You know why? This was his problem, but there was certain kernel of truth to his excuse. He said, there's too many hypocrites in the church. I don't want to be like one of them. And he could point to case in point and prove his point. So the older I got, the teenager, I I, I began to use my father's excuse as an excuse for me to not want to go to church. And up until a certain point, my mom just said, I don't care what you think, you're going to church. (laughs) Mom and dad, can I meddle a little bit? 
bring your children to church. Don't drop them off. Bring them to church. Well, they don't want to go. My mom says, I don't care. I care more about your soul, and I pray that somehow the word, the worship, will get into your spirit because God has the best life for you. I have an older brother and a younger sister now. We all have had a lifetime of loving and serving God. And my wife raised our children. She said, living God's way are the best ways. Drill that into our kids. I have two kids. My son, as you know, is a pastor of Mountain View now. Our daughter is a prayer warrior. <laughs> like her mother. This is why I believe in intergenerational blessing. We fan the flames to our kids. We moved into a new home after official retirement over here. And like I said in the first service, my wife is an interior decorator. She likes to do things. And I'm finding out real quick that more houses we move to, the old furniture doesn't fit into a new house anymore. <laughs> I don't understand that. It's perfectly good, for, but it doesn't fit the decor. Okay. She said something to me, though. He goes, when we move into a new house, I want a room of my own. And I, the guy in me says, you want your own bedroom? <laughs> no, 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 no. I, I, I want a room of my own. I said, honey, the whole house is yours. What do you mean you want a room of your own? I want a room that I can pray by myself. I can worship God the way I'm comfortable Basically, she didn't say this, but what she was saying is, without your interference. <laughs> so in our new home, we still share the same bedroom. <laughs> Hallelujah. <laughs> but she has, in spite of the fact the whole house is hers, she has her own room. And she'll go into it daily. And she'll close the door. <laughs> and I can hear her in there singing. Uh, she says she dances before the Lord. She doesn't usually do that publicly here, but she just has the freedom and liberty. You know how that's affected our kids? Our son this morning, service starts at 10 o'clock at 7.30. He was in the sanctuary crying out to God. Our daughter is a prayer warrior. And that's why I believe in this generation. Prayers, you are distinguishing Christianity like no other generation. But hear me, you've got to do it corporately. That's where the triumph is. That's where the victories are won. That's where the joy comes. That's where the abundance of life. And some people say, I don't need the church. I just need my Lord. Did you know I don't have time to go into it now? There are church historians and people in the word and in church and in God who say Christianity is impossible without his church. Does that mean the church saves? Absolutely not. It's Christ who saves. But you cannot accomplish what God wants to accomplish in your life, in your home, in your church, in your community without being assembled together, coming out being part of the gathering of people coming out, setting other things aside, and then coming together. Would you stand with me this morning? There's a song. It's a modern song, but I, I think from my limited research, it goes back to Andre Crouch 
and somebody took a song that he sang years ago and kind of rewrote it, and it's entitled, Take Me Back. Anybody ever heard that song, Take Me Back? I like to call it, I want to go to church song. I want to go to church. I know we're in the New Testament does say, I'm going to church. You've heard that before. But there's something so exclusively, anointedly pointed about gathering together that's going to cause not only a gathering of people, but a church triumphant. Let me read you the lyrics of this song here, and then I'm going to close and turn it back to your pastor. There was a time that I swore I would never go back. <laughs> That's me. Middle of teenage years, I, I don't need the confusion. I don't need the criticism. I don't need the comments. I, I, I don't need people bickering. I, I, I just don't. It was an excuse. Can I tell you that? It was just an excuse. There was a time I swore I would never go back. I was blind to the truth. I sang about that today. Didn't know what I had. I was running, I was searching, but every place I turned for healing let me more broken than the last. Take me back. Take me back to the place that feels like home, to the people I can depend on, to the faith that's in my bones. Take me back to a preacher and a verse where they've seen me at my worst, to the love I had at first. Oh, I want to go to church. Driving here this morning, I'm just thankful in my heart. I'm, I'm going to church. Not the church I'm familiar with, people I'm familiar with. No, no, part of the body of Christ. I'm, I'm going to go to church. Added blessing to be asked to preach, but I didn't have to preach. So I'm going to go to church. Tried to walk on my own, but I wound up lost. Now I'm, now I'm making my way to the foot of the cross. It's not a trophy for the winners. It's a shelter for the sinner, sinners. And it's right where I belong. Oh, more than an obligation, it's our foundation, the family of God. I know it's hard, but we need each other. We're sisters and brothers. Take me back to the place that feels like home, to the place I can depend on, to the faith that's in my bones. Take me back to a preacher and a verse where they've seen me at my worst. The love I had at first, oh, I want to go to church. Would you bow your heads here in closing? I shared briefly about my testimony, and there came a time where even though I was made to go and felt an obligation to go to church, all of a sudden that living word preached by the preacher, out of texts from the word of God and the anointing and the power of God began to flood into my life, and I knew, I knew, I knew he was welcoming me back home. My son has across the front of his entranceway in huge letters covering all of the glass entryways of our church and, and, and Sandy, and he just says, welcome, welcome. If I had my way, I would have said, welcome home. <laughs> but welcome. There may be some, uh, oh, I don't know, there may be some prodigals that need to come back to God, need to come back to His church today. If you're here present, God bless you. There may be some people here who, who maybe church 
gatherings aren't as priority as they used to be now. I know the battle against the adversary of our souls who's come to kill, steal, and destroy. And I also know the culture that, that tries to squeeze everything and make everything more of a priority than gathering together. Here I believe this morning there are people throughout this congregation. If you're already at that place or you want to come back home to the place, Lord, that your name is lifted up and praised, to a place where people may know me at my worst, and yet you take me where I am, Lord, and you can change me and make me every bit of the son or daughter of God that you proclaim that I am already. So, Father, in closing, I, I, I pray and bless this church in the name above every other church, uh, any other name, I should say. And I pray that your kingdom come and your will will be done in its leadership, in its vision, in its influence, and in its anointing. And I pray, Father, for this body right now. If there are any prodigals here, Lord, I know you're welcoming them back. And I pray, Lord, as they come back to you, you will stir their hearts, forgive them of their sin, and start them on a brand new path, Father, learning to live life in a brand new way, God. I thank you for it. Look forward, Father, for this church to be all it can be to the glory and the honor of your name. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Thank you so much for listening. For more information on Northview Church, please visit northviewutah.com.